a Spring Fox production. This is Resilience Real Time with Peter Sigley. Hi, I'm Simon Cook and welcome to Resilience Real Time with Peter Sigley. In our last podcast, we saw the impacts that stress can have on trust in organisations and leadership. Today, I'm going to take the opportunity to speak to Peter about the critical topic of trust and how this plays out in our organisations. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me today. And I trust you're ready to discuss this interesting area of resilience. Hi, Simon. And you never fail to have one of those little plays on words, which is fantastic. (laughs) Welcome. Trust is a complicated concept, isn't it? I, I guess we all need trust. But how would you describe what trust is? Simon, this is such a huge topic. And again, we're always well benefited or well versed if we really define the concepts that we're talking about. So if I was going to go from a research perspective and give you a definition, it can be quite wordy, but basically it says the extent to which one is willing to ascribe good intentions to and have confidence in the words and actions of another, particularly positive expectations regarding another's conduct in a context of personal or professional risk. Now, that's really verbose. It does sum it up really nicely. But really, what are we saying? So in layman's terms, it's really the belief in the word, ability and actions of others. So is there a sort of process that people can use to understand trust better? Look, when we talk about trust, again, it's something that tends to stay at a concept level. And when you ask people to define it or to articulate what trust is, they can tell you what it looks like when they see it. And they'll certainly give you aspects of that. But really, there is not great understanding around frameworks around trust. Yes, there are several frameworks around trust that look to define what it is, but they don't so much measure the construct of trust. So this is why we spent such a long time reviewing a whole body of literature, understanding what trust is, the components of trust, what factors go into that, not only understanding, but then going on and developing and testing uh, our own tool around measuring trust, the Trust in Action 360. And it's fair to say this was predominantly developed and designed to be used within a work environment. And we always say when it comes to trust starting with the leadership team is uh, of critical importance. With all that said, in terms of components for individuals, the elements of trust would be exactly the same. Thanks, Peter. So it's interesting. I saw a quote in the Harvard Business Review that said, trust is the currency of good business. So how would you describe the benefits of high trust levels to teams and businesses? There are so many benefits when it comes to trust. And I love that word around currency. It really does allow us to trade in terms of our relationships. So the first thing that comes out of a high trust environment is higher collaboration. And it's important to acknowledge and stop and think about what that communication and interaction looks like. What are we expecting of people? And do they know what's expected of them? So outlining what we're looking for in terms of input from somebody else can go a long way to ensuring that trust is still there, present and facilitated, and that people aren't being ignored, disregarded, uh, spoken over the top of. So, you know, if a decision's already been made, letting people know the decision's made, and this is around sharing information. If there are a number of options on the table and this is sharing information, looking for feedback and constructive 
input, then people need to know that that's what's expected of them. Or is it truly collaboration where nothing's been decided, um, not all outcomes have been explored, and everybody's input is vital to ensuring that further development around a concept or what's being uh, looked at from a business perspective is being taken into account. So part of that collaboration includes really clear communication. Um, with high levels of trust, there are reported lower levels of stress. And Zach did a study in 2017, it was published in the Harvard Business Review, that really spoke to this space. When there's an environment of high stress, there tends to be low levels of trust, and obviously the inverse is there. High levels of trust lead us to more effective problem solving. We have employees with higher levels of engagement, job satisfaction, and people are happy to stay and work in organisations where there's high levels of trust. Mm. Of course, the opposite is true. They want to leave organisations where there's no trust or they feel they are not trusted. In terms of creativity, uh, safe environments and outlets for innovation and different solutions, that is definitely present when trust is there. What happens when trust is absent is we get really lower levels of creativity, people stepping away from innovation, uh, not wanting to try something new because they don't quite know how that's going to be responded to or interpreted by others in the team or even leadership. So it also allows for timely identification and incorporation of new ideas, processes, procedures, and really what we see is a really nice, effective business operation. Certainly allows us to avoid playing with the politics within organisations and costly mistakes. And so overall, high productivity is really what the outcome of a really high trust environment is. Thanks, Peter. And you've given us some of the downsides, but the obvious natural follow-up question just to tidy this up is, you know, what's the full impact to individuals, teams and businesses of low levels of trust? Yes, and it is really good just to really summarise into a tighter space what those downsides are. I think focusing on the personal is a really good place to start. And what we know is that really our own personal survival becomes our key priority. So we're not really looking for the collaborative, creative or innovative approach and the dynamics within a team. It's just a survival of the best or of the best. The downside when people are acting like that and pulling back is culture becomes toxic and impacts negatively on people's well-being, certainly levels of engagement and productivity like I spoke about a moment ago. Staff members are unlikely to do more than what's required so people aren't stepping up to assist others or do things differently and we see increased levels of anxiety and stress amongst staff and typically as a result there's also increased conflict. It's quite clear then that there are loads of benefits of having a trust at the core of your organisation. So are you able to share what you see as the drivers of trust, Peter? What drives trust in an organisation? So from the research, there are a number of key competencies that really come to play when we start to talk about trust. In terms of factors, it's about 36 factors that feed into this. But really at the top level, when we start to talk about competencies, there's six key things that come to play. The first one has to be around steadiness. Consistency and reliability, the way I present myself, my interactions with others. Do people see me responding in a manner the same as when I'm happy as when I'm upset or frustrated or annoyed or people have to be cautious of what the response is going to be? So 
if we score really low around steadiness, um, we tend to lack impulse control. And so we are the one in the office that tends to fly off the handle. Maybe we become really silent and sullen and people are tiptoeing around us. So steadiness of our responses. We talk about compassion. Now we know that trust is an input into compassion, but we also know that trust is an output of compassion. So starting with empathy is a really good place to begin this conversation. Because empathy requires us to have curiosity in other people. So we're building emotional awareness, emotional awareness of self, emotional awareness of others. And really it calls us to question, are we really listening to and observing others, that level of curiosity in somebody else, and actually trying to seek to understand the perspectives of somebody else. We don't have to agree with it, but we're at least taking the time and the energy to understand that somebody else might be coming from a different space. Steadiness, compassion are definitely there. Integrity has to be in that conversation. Absolutely. So we're talking about whether we follow through on what we say we're going to do, you know, basically keeping our promises. We're demonstrating ethical behaviour. We're transparent about our decision-making. We're respectful and we maintain confidentiality. And in terms of the Australian context, we don't have to go far to see where trust has been broken. And we saw that in the banking and financial services Royal Commission. We saw that mm, with the Australian yeah. cricket team. We've seen that with some of our very large institutions, religious institutions, when it starts to look at abuse of children. Trust compromised on so many levels. So integrity has to be part of this conversation. Connection is also here. Do we actually care about the relationships we have with others? Do we care about the relationships that we maintain and foster as an organisation? Do we take time and demonstrate action so that we build more meaningful connections? And sometimes people differentiate the home life from the work life, but trust in an organisation does rely on connections, absolutely. And purpose, purpose is also here. Are we aligning our values to the organisational purpose? And if there's a disconnect, we really need to stop and ask ourselves why that's happening. And the last one, which is one that people don't often think about when it comes to trust, is actually trust action. So are we looking to create opportunities for others to act based on our level of trust in us? So do we schedule time to listen what people have to say in terms of feedback? Do we create an environment where people are free of those interactions so they can speak honestly? Do we really listen to understand their point of view and try and nurture that environment such that we are able to create an environment where trust can be placed into action? So in summary, it comes down to a couple of concepts, steadiness, compassion, integrity, connection, purpose, trust action. I really like the trust action, and that's something that I think is really strong. Um, Peter, I'm interested, uh, Springfox did a, a survey um, around COVID-19 and the impact of COVID-19 on trust, so pivoting a little bit. What were the findings there and the leadership implications specifically? Yes, so the survey we did was an extensive survey, uh, an Australian-wide survey, and had lots of people responding, and we were really looking at people's responses to the COVID-19 impact on people themselves. And really what came out of it was a very interesting finding in that there was a misalignment between the levels of trust that our leader believed were present in their organisation and team and the actual levels as the staff reported. 
in terms of trust. So what this led to was this concept of blissful delusion where leaders thought that trust was so much higher than what the staff were reporting. And the implications of that is to think about, well, what does that look like moving post-COVID if no trust is being misaligned between two groups and their level of understanding of what that is. So we have to address ways of connecting and bringing into play all those other factors beyond just lots and lots of Zoom calls. You know, really the research Mm. showed that that wasn't enough. So we have to attend to what is purpose. Purpose now, purpose moving forward. Uh, Am I operating with compassion, with genuine interest in others, that steadiness and integrity around actions? They need to be there as well. They're really good insights. Thanks, Peter. So finally, how would leaders go about addressing or even understanding the levels of trust in their own organisations? So for me, as a researcher, it has to come down to measurement. Where do you even begin to start? And so when we start to look at the competencies around trust, it would be trying to ascertain and understand where do people see me in terms of those competencies of steadiness, compassion, integrity, connection, purpose, trust in action. What do my peers say? What do my staff say? What do my clients say? What's my own reflection? So by breaking down those competencies and having questions relating to those factors allows me to measure that. And then I can put into play, put into practice things to enhance and build trust. And for people who are really interested in their leadership skills, it's certainly a conversation that has had lots of traction and great success in the teams that we've worked with. So again, I'd have to say it starts with the leadership team and what they bring to that conversation to creating environment for people to trust. Thanks, Peter. I've really got a lot out of this conversation, especially when it comes to the benefits of trust in teams and businesses and the drivers. I really like the drivers that trust are built on, particularly trust in action. Thanks, Simon. And I hope there's lots of opportunity for all of us to practice some of that before we come back into a post-COVID world, because uh, trust is certainly going to be one of the foundations that we're going to need to be moving forward into a new way of working. Brilliant. Next time, Peter and I will be discussing the really interesting topic of the impacts of age and gender on our resilience and well-being. Till then, keep well. This is a Spring Fox production, hosted by me, Simon Cook, edited by Claire Taylor, music written, composed and produced by Josh Jones. Tune in next time wherever you find your podcasts or check out our website, springfox.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to help others find this podcast.